This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Because the dividing, the division is one thing, and that is the miraculous. Now, we can say it's any number of things. Some people will say, well, we believe in miracles. We just don't believe in that speaking in tongues stuff. You can divide it and slice it and dice it any way you want to, but it comes down to one basic thing, and that is the reason the church in America is, is uh, disjointed and not unified, as God said in the Word that He wanted it to be, is because of the miraculous. Because everybody has different ideas and different opinions on miracles. Why? Because not everybody is willing to acknowledge God in the same way. And that's really what it comes down to. Some people will say, well, I believe in the miracles of the Bible, but God doesn't do that anymore. Okay? That's one opinion. So what do you do with something that happens that's miraculous nowadays? Well, they usually make excuses and say God doesn't do that. So isn't that the same thing as Pharaoh saying to his magicians, no, God's not doing this. I refuse to acknowledge that God's really behind this. What's the difference? There is none. Let's keep reading. Further on in chapter 8, the end of chapter 8, it talks about the flies. Moses prays and asks God to stop that, and so he, he does. Verse 32, and Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time. Notice it's not God doing it. It says that Pharaoh did it for himself. Pharaoh hardened his heart at this time also. Neither would he let the people go. Finally, there are plagues of boil and the, the hail and thunder and hail and so forth. Skip with me over to chapter 9. I want you to see this. Verse 27, Pharaoh sent and called. Uh, this was after the, the, the hail and the fire that falls. And uh, this is where God makes a distinction between the rest of Egypt and where the, the uh, people of Israel are, the Israelites are, in the land of Goshen where they lived. There were no more plagues after this one. And so, or starting with this one. So verse 27, Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said unto them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and I and my people are wicked. Entreat the Lord for it is, not, for it is enough that there be no more mighty thunderings and hail and I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. Now finally notice that Moses has wised up. Moses has figured out from Pharaoh's action how things really are. Moses said unto him, as soon as I'm gone out of the city... I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease. Neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest knowest that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's, not yours, in other words. But as for thee and thy servants, I know that you will not yet fear the Lord God. Now, folks, I want you to realize by the time chapter nine, verse thirty comes along, Moses is saying exactly what God said in chapter three, verse nineteen. And I know that you're not going to respect God. You're not going to fear God in this, even though it stops. Moses is saying exactly the same thing that God said to begin with. I know that this is how it's going to go. Moses found out from experience. God knew it from the beginning. Skip with me over to verse 34. And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more and hardened his heart. Notice again it says Pharaoh did it to himself. He hardened his heart, he and his servants, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. What's it saying? It's saying it happened just the way God told him from the beginning, and that Moses related to Pharaoh just a few verses before. The point I want you to see, and it hammers it over and over and over again, 
Even the King James translation, you don't even have to find another translation. It says it again and again and again, how that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. What's the significance? What's the importance of that? Pharaoh refused to accept or acknowledge the miracles. Keep that in mind. And so the Passover is instituted. Uh, and they put the, the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and on the, the side post of the, of, the, of the door. And the angel of death passes over. Now, folks, you need to understand something. The angel of death was from God. I know some people have a hard time with that, but the angel of death is from God. Yeah, but Pastor Mike, I thought you said, I thought the Bible says in John 10, 10, that the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And that Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That's right. But that doesn't mean that that's always the way that it was. See, under the Old Testament, but before Jesus came along, man could not be judged separate from his sin because man was an unrighteous individual. He had become joined with spiritual death. And so if God's going to execute judgment on spiritual death, he has to execute judgment on mankind. That's why the enemies of Israel, time and time again, mostly during David's reign, but time and time again, where the, uh, the, Israel, uh, the enemies of Israel would rise up against them, God would say, go destroy them. That's why when they entered into the promised land under Joshua, he said, kill everybody that's there. Why? Because those, represent, those people represented sin itself. The good news is that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. What that means is Jesus paid the price through his own sacrifice. He paid the price that separates man from his sin. That's why man now can make a choice to accept the sacrifice that Jesus paid for our spiritual death, literally spiritual death. We, we summarize it and say sin, but it's really not sin. It's spiritual death. Jesus died spiritually to pay the price for spiritual death so that we, because the price has been paid for something separate from us, can accept righteousness as their own. That's why it's good news. That's exactly why it's good news. See, some people think that, that God was behind all the killing in the Bible. Not so. God executed judgment on sin in the Bible, and therefore he had to execute it on the men that were operating in the sin. That's why it's such good news that Jesus came and paid the price that separates man from his sin so that you can become righteous and your sin can be done away with. Are you with me? I know that's tough for some people to accept, but it's the way that the Bible describes it. So the angel of death comes and kills the firstborn of, of Egypt, and Pharaoh finally turns loose and lets the people go. Now, in chapter 14, I want you to see chapter 14. They come to the point where Pharaoh hardens his heart again. The Bible indicates that he's, uh, and God said it was going to happen even before it did. God said to Moses, go through the wilderness, and Pharaoh's going to think the wilderness has trapped you, and so he's going to come out against you again. When they get to the Red Sea, Moses, who knows that God has told him everything except this. Up to this point, God has told him what's going to happen before the fact, but he has no, we don't have no record whatsoever that God ever said, I'm going to part the Red Sea for you. If he had told him that, then Moses might have operated in a different way than he did. But he comes to the place where they're hemmed in, mountains on one side, mountains on the other side. Uh, the Red Sea is behind them, and Pharaoh is bearing down on them. God takes the pillar of fire, and he separates Israel from Pharaoh's armies for the entirety of the night. Uh, after, Well, once Moses starts acting on this, I guess I'm ahead of myself a little bit. But the people start getting afraid, and the people see Pharaoh's armies coming. And, and remember, folks, Egypt is the world's superpower at that time. This is the mightiest force on the face of the earth. This is like the American, the, all of the American military force coming down on a, a village in Africa somewhere. 
I mean, there's, there's no defense. There's no uh, way that they can fight this thing or have any hope whatsoever. That's the fear that these people would feel. And so it says in verse 13, Moses said to the people, this is chapter 14, verse 13. Moses said unto the people, fear ye not, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. What has Moses figured out so far? He's figured out that God's not going to leave us. He's not going to let us down. He's not going to depart from us. He's not going to abandon us. That's all he knows. And so that's what he tells the people. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall show to you this day. For the Egyptians who you have seen today, you shall see them again no more forever. Now, this is one thing that Moses does know. Moses, when he goes to Pharaoh with the last of the place to tell him about the, um, uh, or, or knowing, he really doesn't tell Pharaoh, but knowing that the death of the firstborn is coming, Pharaoh says, I will never see your face again. This is the last time I'll ever see you. And Moses responds and says, well, it's just the way you're going to say Just the way you've said it, that's the way it'll be. So Moses knows that Pharaoh cannot survive. He knows that the Egyptian army is not going to survive. Whatever happens, whatever God does, they won't survive. But that's all he knows. At least that's all we have record of in the Bible that he knows. If he knows something else, it seems uh, illogical that God wouldn't have told us. And he says in verse 14, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Now notice the position of the people. Let's stop and think about the people for a minute. Most scholars, and there's no way to know for sure, we know how many, how long three of the, the plagues lasted. The first plague lasted seven days, the ninth plague lasted for three days, and the tenth plague lasted for one day. So that's a total of ten days. You have to uh, assume that there's a day or maybe a two days, maybe a few days in between the different plagues, but we don't know how long the rest of them are. Most scholars uh, guess, and that's all it is, guess that it was anywhere from three months to a year's time for the ten plagues to take place. I don't know. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. There's really no way to know. But it, it, it doesn't stand to reason that it's one day after the other, bang, 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 bang. It seems to, to the, the, the writing seems to indicate that there's a lull. There's an opportunity that God's given Pharaoh to change his mind, to change his attitude toward this, to respond and, and so forth. And if he doesn't, he, another plague comes on. And in many cases, the plagues lasted until Pharaoh said to Moses, would you get rid of this stuff? So we don't know how long that was. We don't know if that was one day. In one case, we know that he said about the frogs, he said, will you pray the Lord that he'd get rid of them tomorrow? I don't know why he wanted that last night with the frogs, but apparently he did. So we have no way to know for sure how long these things lasted. So let's assume for the sake of argument that this lasted for a few months. Remember, three of the plagues affected Israel. The first three plagues affected Israel along with Egypt. But after that, the last seven... Israel is sitting back, just enjoying life, still slaves. We don't know if they're still working. We don't know if they're still under the, the, the whip of the taskmaster. We don't know any of those things. None of those things are said. But we do know that the people, the Egyptian people, hate the, the Israelites because they recognize that their God, the, the God of the Hebrews, is doing this stuff and bringing these things upon them. The people are well satisfied and really willing and ready to let the children of Israel go long before Pharaoh is. Long before. I mean, they, let's get rid of these people. Fine, get rid of them. As a matter of fact, when they go and, and ask to borrow jewels, the word borrow is used in the King James, they're asking for payment literally for the time that they were slaves. We've been slaves to your people for 400 years. Now pay up. The people of Egypt are willing, ecstatic to pay up. This means you're leaving? Great, get out of here. 
Some of them even said, we realize that your God is more powerful than anything we've ever seen. We want to go with you too. So here, take all my stuff and let me come with you. So the people are ready to go, just like God said that they would be. The people are ready to go with it. It's Pharaoh that refused. So Moses says, the Lord shall fight for you and you shall hold your peace. And the Lord said unto Moses, verse 15, one of the strangest verses in all of the scripture in my opinion. The Lord said unto Moses, wherefore criest thou unto me? Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward, but lift up thy rod and stretch out thy hand over the sea and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all of his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten me honor upon Pharaoh and upon his chariots and upon his horsemen. Now, stop and think about Moses. Moses has been operating... For some time, again, we don't know the period of the time of the plagues, but from the time that he saw the Lord and spoke to the Lord in the burning bush in Midian to the time that he returned to Egypt and began to address, first of all, the children of Israel, tell them about deliverance. They were on his side to begin with. Then Pharaoh turned against them, and they turned against Moses. Then the plagues started happening, and the people are sitting back saying, well, maybe this Moses guy's got something to him after all. Whatever period of time that was, maybe a year, six months, maybe a year, I don't know. But whatever period of time that is, God expects Moses to take a different position and have a different attitude about God's deliverance than what he shows. When he says in verse 15 to Moses, why are you crying out unto me? Well, isn't that what we're supposed to do when we're in trouble? I mean, really, isn't it? Well, sure it is. Of course it is. That's the first thing I do. It's the first thing you do. It's the first thing all of us do. We're supposed to go to the Lord expecting for him to help us. But his position on this, God's position on this toward Moses is that, Moses, you have seen what I will do because I said I was going to deliver my people. If crossing a Red Sea, if causing a Red Sea to dry up, if doing something to get you across this body of water is necessary for me to deliver my people, you should know by now you don't have to talk to me about it. You don't have to ask me about it. Do it because I've already said I deliver my people. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Now, whatever somebody, you or me or somebody else might think of why Jesus healed the sick, Matthew eight seventeen tells us why he healed everybody that was sick. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWeb.tv. Foothill Family Church. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. The only thing God says to Moses, well, two things he says to Moses. Number one, what are you talking to me about it for? You've got the rod in your hand. Secondly, stretch your rod out over the waters. Here's how to make this work. Stretch out your rod over the waters, and I'll do to Pharaoh exactly what I said that I was going to do. So he does. He stretches out his hand, or the rod over the waters, and the waters start parting. It takes all night. The pillar of fire goes and, and 
divides between Pharaoh and the Israelites. It talks about the wind blowing all night. It talks about the waters. King James says the waters uh, congealed as a heap. The only thing I know about congealing is jello. So I've got a question for you. What did God change? What miracle did God work so that the waters piled up like jello? Did he change the property of water? Did he change the properties of gravity? He changed the properties of gravity. Did he change it just regarding the water? Because the people walked over. They didn't float. They walked over on dry ground. So what did God do? What miracle did God perform? How did God reach from outside of time and space into time and space and make the waters part? How did it work? Anybody got any ideas? I mean, anybody got any ideas that you could prove? I mean, we can speculate about any number of things. It's kind of like the walking in the water. When Jesus walked in the water, what did he change? Did he change him? Did he change gravity? Did he change the water? What did he change? I don't know, but he walked on the water. So God parts the Red Sea. Israel goes over on dry ground. The chariots of Israel coming, uh, chariots of Egypt coming behind them. And it says that the wheels bogged down in the mud. If Israel went through on dry ground, how did the, how did the Egyptians have mud? Did God change the properties of mud? Or just for Israel and not for, maybe it was muddy all along, but the, the miracle was that they didn't get muddy. They went over on dry ground and the Egyptians couldn't. Folks, I don't have an answer. I'm just posing some certain questions. See, we look at things and we think so one-dimensional on stuff. At least I do. I'm not going to blame you for being like me. I would never do that. But we look at things and we, we, we have to have things categorized. And I'm sure there are scientific explanations for it. The problem is we don't have enough information to know what they would be. So what are we left with? We're left with miracle. We're left with this word called miracle that means anything and everything. Now, Turn back with me. Israel goes over on dry ground. Pharaoh and his armies are defeated. Turn back with me to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15 is when God makes a covenant with Abraham. We'll start reading in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. His name's Abram, so he hasn't had his son yet. Abram is probably about 80 years old at this point in time. He left his father's land at 75, age 75. He's been walking with God and in obedience with God for about five years of his life. And after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless, and the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. Are you able to number them? And he said unto them, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he, God, counted it to him, Abraham, for righteousness. And he brought unto him, he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of the earth of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Abram said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take a heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against the other, but the birds divided he not. When the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. 
And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And lo, a horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them and shall afflict them four hundred years. I want you to notice, folks, that God said to Abraham, five years after he started obeying him, he told him what was going to happen that we read about in the Exodus. And also that nation, verse 14, whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they, your people, come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace, and thou shalt be buried in a good age. But in the fourth generation shall they come, they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. Then it talks about the, the glory of the Lord and how the, the covenant is made after that. I want you to understand something, folks. This is 636 years before the Exodus. 636 years. God planned outside of space and time. It's not that he's pulling strings and deciding on the fly. 636 years before God parted the Red Sea, before God poured out the ten plagues upon Egypt. 636 years God planned the deliverance of his people. Again, as I said before, this is the only time, Egypt is the only time we have in Jewish history where they didn't go into bondage to another nation by their own disobedience and rebellion against God. It's the only time. Every other time from the time they get, were delivered from Egypt and went into the promised land, God said, this land is yours and nobody can take it from you unless you disobey me, unless you ignore my word and, and disobey my commandments. That's the only thing that will happen. But if you do that, if you disobey my word and don't give ear to my commandments, then other nations will, shall dispossess you from this land. They shall take you captive. And that's what happened over and over and over again. This example in Egypt is the only time that that was not the case. Egypt took the Israelites captive because they did exactly what God said they would do, and that was they multiplied exponentially. And Egypt was threatened by them. And so what did God do? God saw what was going to happen. He told Abraham before Abraham had Isaac, the one that started it all. He said, this is the way it's going to be. And he's speaking 630 years, 36 years in the future. Now let me ask you a question. Do we not all understand that something has happened in our life? If we took time and gave a microphone to every person in the room, every one of us would have an opportunity to tell about something miraculous, whether it's a bona fide miracle or not, at least something supernatural that God's done in our own lives. What do we know about how God works miracles? We see that God plans stuff out way, 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 way out front. If you need a miracle today... God, who is outside of space and time, saw hundreds of years ago that you were going to need it. So what did he do? He gave you a promise that would bring it to pass. Yeah, but, but my name's not in the Bible, Pastor Mike. There's nowhere where it says, John Smith, here's what belongs to you. Or Jim Jones, here's what belongs to you. No, he gave us scriptures to tell us what, all, what belongs to all of us. But it's no less true. Smith Wilkersworth used to say this. Smith Wilkersworth would say this. He said he preached this and spoke this and tried to define this over and over and over again. He said faith is the audacity. Audacity just means boldness, willingness to be bold. Faith is the audacity that rejoices because God cannot break his word. 
Faith is not agitation, he said. It's the quiet confidence that God means what he says as we act on his word. We think about it from our standpoint. Is anything too hard for the Lord? It's always surprised me and and interested me that uh, a blind man came to Jesus and Jesus asked him, he said, do you believe I'm able to do this? Because believing God is able is, is huge. It's huge. We say, oh, yeah, God can do anything. Yeah, but can he do this? It's easy to say God can do anything with God. Nothing's impossible. It's another thing to say God can do something about my situation. God can do something about my circumstance. That's a big difference. Huge difference. So God asked Sarah, is anything too hard for the Lord? Really, he's talking to Abraham to tell her, is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Folks, seeing the precision that God creates the universe with, the, the minute details that are involved in just the, not only the creation but the sustaining of life, to see the details that he went to, the planning that he had 400 years before Israel ever went into to, uh, Egypt, 630 years before Israel was ever born as a nation. The planning that God went through the same precision that God created the universe with, he planned for Israel to be delivered. What kind of precision do you think he had in mind when it came to the blood of Jesus? What kind of precision do you think God had and what kind of plans did he make when it came to man having authority over all the works of the, of the devil? His enemy, the one that took his man in the first place. What precision, what reality, what power do you think he planned for? When it came to setting you free, once and for all, not just temporary, not just like Israel, free to disobey again and again and again, but once and for all, an eternal redemption. What kind of precision, what kind of miracle plans do you think God had in mind for that? The Bible says of, of creation that it was, it was a small thing for God. The Bible says of other miracles where God made water in the desert where there was nothing. God said, this is a small thing, a light thing for me. Well, if those are light things, how big a thing is it for him to deliver you and me? God is the God of miracles, folks. God is the God that doeth miracles. He never quits because it's not just what he does, it's who he is. The issue is very simply this. The Bible says that God has planned. He's made plans for mankind through the end of the age. So even if somebody came up with the notion and the idea, even if they wanted to believe God is through doing miracles, they've got a problem because God planned to do miracles thousands of years ago. And they're not done yet. So even if from this day forward he decided I'm never going to do another miracle, he's still got the ones he's already planned to catch up on. They're still in the pipe, just like the parting of the Red Sea was. By the time the parting of the Red Sea event took place, God was like, well, of course. It's been planned this way forever. When it came to your deliverance, when it comes to your healing, God says, of course. It's been planned for since the foundations of the earth. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. 
Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. So he says, how long is it going to be before these people believe me? Everything about what God did, all the power that he showed, all the plagues in Egypt, all the parting of the Red Sea, all the miracle uh, wilderness miracles, all those things that took place were designed for one and only one thing, and that was for the people to believe God. And that's what they refused to do when they got to the promised land. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.